0: This is... simple obedience is simply he's 99 let's get this circumcision party on Ishmael's 13 all the people in my house guys we're doing this together how can we not say Lord I just want to follow you whatever the cost whatever it takes and I believe that God is asking us all of us to take radical steps of simple obedience to his calling tonight and the question for you and I is are we going to be obedient children Or are we going to be disobedient children?
1: Obedience to God isn't always easy, but the fruitful life that it affords saves us from so much hassle and heartache. For most of us, God isn't asking us to make life-changing sacrifices very often, but we still have a hard time managing the smaller things. When Pastor Daniel speaks about what it meant for Abram and his entire household to be circumcised, we begin to understand true obedience. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis, chapter 16, with his continuing study entitled, Ishmael.
0: See, the Greeks, they thought that Greek culture was the bomb diggity. It was the way to go. And so every group of people, I said the bomb diggity, that's right. The Greeks, they decided that they wanted to make every land that they conquered, they, they wanted to make it Greek. So they took all of the best writings of all the different people and they translated them all into Greek. So they took when they were in the area of Israel, Palestine, they said, we're going to translate the Hebrew Scriptures into Greek. And so when they did it, they translated El Shaddai as Panta Krantor, which literally means Him of all power. Panta means all. So the all-powerful one, if you look at it in the Hebrew, it's fascinating because most people would say that the Shaddai, it comes from the root shed, which either means to pour out blessings or in abundantly. So most people would say El Shaddai is God, the all-sufficient one. Or it's also fascinating that the word shad. now I'm going to give you a quick little Hebrew language lesson. In Hebrew, when it was written, it was all consonants. No vowels. Okay? The vowels were put in much later by a group of people called the Masoretes because Hebrew wasn't a common language anymore and people weren't just going to read it the right way. So if you read the original manuscripts, it's just all consonants. So you have the three, and most of their words are based around what they call triconsonantal roots. They're three letters that are together. So this El Shaddai is the S, the H, and the D. But you can vowel point them different ways And if you were to read the writings of the rabbis Which I like to call rabbinics You'll find that anytime you get to a cool word The rabbis go through all these different words That you get from this one root So I just gave you one The idea of shed Which literally means to pour out in abundance Other rabbis say that it's the word shed Which is actually the word for breast Which speaks of the reality of the comfort of Or nourishment of God. So you have this idea as El Shaddai as the all sufficient one, the all nourishing one. It's a fascinating word that you can pull all these different things about it. So we have either all almighty, which has the idea of God having all power, or all sufficiency, because you think about all a child needs in its infancy is its mother. And a mother is sufficient for a child. Because of a mother's maternal care. So uh, both of these words are from the same root, El Shaddai. So God says, I am the Almighty One, the All-Sufficient One. Now, I want to make the application for you and I. Do you know God is all-powerful and all-sufficient? For so many of us, we know that He's God, but He's not the All-Sufficient One. He's not enough for us. We need God and... Well, I'm here to tell you that all of your soul's longings, everything that you truly need are bound up in Him. And if you're going to say, hey, well, what about everything else in life? But the reality is this. God is all you need. Martin Luther said it this way. I get to enjoy all this in Christ as well. See, God is is the sufficiency for the human soul. He is all that we need. He's all that we need. And sometimes the only way to learn that is when He's all we have. And sometimes that's what the desert season is all about. Stripping away everything that we could try and find sufficiency in. So that we can learn that He is the all-sufficient One. That God Himself is satisfies the human soul to its fullness. So I want to encourage you, if you're in a valley, or if maybe you're not, but you will be in a week, a month, a year, ten years, listen, sometimes you only know and learn that God is sufficient when He's all you have. And if He's all you have, and you find Him to be sufficient, then you are the richest person in the world. You have learned the most important thing. That He is all-sufficient. Now, it's interesting. He says, the Lord says, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. I love this. Who do we walk before? Him. This is, for me, the key to how to live a holy life. Sure, it's inspired by the Spirit of God. But it's the reality that no matter where you are, God sees everything. We walk before Him. You could fool the whole world. Everyone. You could tell, you could posture and say, I'm this, I'm that. God sees everything. There is a set of eyes that are on you that knows not every, not only every action, but every motivation in your heart. And when we truly fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, then all of a sudden we realize, I walk my life before Him. And He sees everything. I can't, I can't fake it, I can't fake him out. I can't pretend to be something I'm not before him. A.W. Tozer said, look, it's really easy to be holy when someone's looking over your shoulder. Now, some of you may be freaked out by that. I mean, why is God looking at everything? And I would say, because God loves you so much, he doesn't want to miss a beat. God loves you so much, he doesn't want to miss a beat. Just the way when you have a child... That child's young. You don't. Your parents don't want to miss a beat, right? You want to see all of it. All of it. That's how God is for you. And we need to realize that we walk before Him. And when we realize that we walk before Him, that reality will purify our way. Because there's nothing worse than breaking the heart of the One who loved us enough to send His Son to die on a cross for our sins. That is a great motivation. You walk before him, and so do I. God doesn't miss a trick. And when we walk before him, he says, and be blameless. Live in such a way that there is no way to bring blame or reproach against our lives. And i got to be honest with you. It breaks my heart that Christians don't take their lives as seriously as God does. It breaks my heart that we're so easy To dismiss our own failings and focus on others. I just had a talk with someone. They said, you know, Christian guy. said, I just don't understand why so many Christians are so focused on trying to keep gay marriage as illegal, and they're mailing in their own marriages. I said, man, it's hypocrisy. Not saying that we shouldn't stand up for what we believe, but God forbid the people who are crusading against these things and their wives are like, I don't think my husband even loves me. See, we need to take our lives as seriously as God does. And God values our lives. God wants our lives to be lived in such a way that we, we walk before him. And even if no one else understands, we walk before him. Now notice he says again, verse 2, And I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. In verse 3, Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations." for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I will give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, I love this. God revisits his covenant. There's three people involved in the covenant. There's the Lord, who we see, this is what he's going to do in verses 3 to 8. There's Abram, or now Abraham, from verses 9 to 14, and then Sarai from verses 15 and 16. So the promise given here is first that Abram's going to have many descendants. He's going to be the father of many nations. Abram gets a name change. Abram means exalted father, and then Abraham means a father of a multitude. So it's hard for me, because we know him as Abraham. Up until this point, I've had to call him Abram, and you hear me slip up calling him Abraham a whole lot. But now he gets a name change. No longer Will you be called Abram, exalted father? Now you'll be Abraham, the father of a multitude. Now, I love this. God's covenant with him is an eternal covenant. It keeps coming back. He says, I'm going to establish my covenant, in verse 7, between me and you, between your descendants after you, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. So God is saying, I'm going to be eternally faithful, everlastingly faithful to you and your descendants. Notice verse 8 again. He says, I will give you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan has an everlasting possession. So again, you have God, the people, and the land. God reaffirms this covenant with Abram. And I love verse 8 because again, he comes back around. I will be their God. And that's glorious. An eternal covenant for Abraham, his descendants, He'll be their God. He's going to bless their socks off with his presence. And they're going to have a land. And then in verse 9, we move to Abram. Look at what it says. Then God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, verse 10, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendants, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child, who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And all the men said, holy cow. (laughs) I mean, let's just be straight up honest. Imagine you're Abram. You're 99. You got a 13 year old son and God says, okay, I'm going to be your God. Your descendants are going to be my people. I'm going to give you a land. You're just saying, amen, hallelujah. And he says, listen, the sign of the covenant is going to be circumcision. And we all say to ourselves, what the heck is going on? Let's be honest. I mean, it's interesting when he he starts explaining this, he's like, all your descendants, no matter who they are, and you. And all the men said, ow. I mean, just the notion of it makes me feel a little queasy. I didn't want to eat dinner before I came just because I was going to have to talk about this. <laughs> I mean, Jacob's sons know the deal. They want to go and bum rush a city and they say, listen, if you guys want to do this, you've got to circumcise all the guys. And all those guys did it and they just went and they ransacked the city. Creepy, you know? I joke and all, but what's going on here? This is all about God wanting to make his people distinct by cutting away what is unnecessary in the flesh. That's what it's about. The foreskin. It's an unnecessary piece of flesh. Now, I don't want to get into the medical things of it and all this stuff, but there are a lot of medical benefits to circumcision. Blah, 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 blah. There's some people who think that it's child mutilation, but they just need to study a little biology because... We learn that God puts it on the eighth day, and if you read the writings of different scholars, they say, listen to one scholar named McMillan, he said this way, he's a doctor. Newborn children have peculiar susceptibility to bleeding between the second and fifth days of life. It seems an important blood clotting agent, vitamin K, is not formed in the normal amount until the fifth to seventh days of life. Another blood clotting agent called prothrobin, I don't think I said that right, but you can look it up, It is at its highest level in infants on precisely the eighth day of life, making the eighth day the safest, earliest day to circumcise an infant. When you have a newborn child, automatically they give them vitamin K. I remember that. So they wait seven days. They do it on the eighth day. And it's a cutting away of that which is unnecessary. It's a marking in the flesh saying that I am the Lord. And it was meant to be a picture that in order to be a child of God, you need to let the Lord cut away that part of our flesh that is unnecessary. That part of our lives that is unnecessary. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Does it make sense? So it's a sign, it's kind of a weird sign. But that's the way God wants it. Now, again, I said he was going to bring up Sarah as well. In verse 15, it says, then God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah. Sarai means my lady or even my princess. But Sarah means the princess of a multitude. Okay, so Sarah gets a name change as well. Notice what it says in verse 16. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abram fell on his face and he laughed in verse 17 and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man when he's a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And then God said, verse 19, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. You shall beget twelve princes. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you as at this set time next year, then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. He, God said, Listen, listen, Sarah is going to have a child. And Abram laughs. He thinks to himself, No way. He's like, Man, who can do this? I'm 100, Sarah's 90. And this is long before the day and age of Viagra and other things. All these things. <laughs> you know? God's like, listen. And when Abraham asked that question, we all say to ourselves, is anything too hard for God? And we laugh about Abraham laughing about this, but how many of us have little problems? You're not a hundred, your wife's not 90 trying to have kids. We have little problems in comparison, and we fret and we worry and we get all out of joint about these things. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Can the Almighty, All-Sufficient One do anything? And the answer is, of course, He can do anything. If we would just trust Him and believe in Him and and all this, you know. Abram says, oh, that Ishmael may live before you. And God's like, listen, I'm going to bless Ishmael. Twelve princes. Ishmael's going to be fine, but I have made a covenant with you and with Sarah. And Isaac is my chosen one. Now, this is the difference between... Islam and Judaism or Christianity because Islam says that Ishmael was the chosen one and Judaism and Christianity says Isaac is the chosen one. If you read the Quran; it says that God chose Ishmael. Now God says he's going to bless Ishmael. He's still going to bless him. But God, this covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, doesn't belong to Ishmael. Ishmael gets blessed as one of his descendants, but it goes to Isaac. It goes to Isaac. Now, look at what happened in verse 23, and I'm going to close here. So Abraham took Ishmael his son, all who were in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins, that very same day, as God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin." And Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin that very same day Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house born in his house and bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him and this is simply the reality that Abraham was obedient he was obedient it says on the very same day it happened Abraham was circumcised when he was 99 Ishmael was circumcised when he was 13. It's interesting that Muslims today circumcise their sons at 13 because that was when Ishmael was circumcised. And all of the young guys in here said, thank God I was born to Christian parents. (laughs) I mean, I could do just circumcision jokes forever. You know what I mean? It's just like, there's no end to how many jokes I can make about this. But I want to close with this. I'm just going to close with this for you guys. Abraham's 99, he goes and circumcises every guy in his house. And if this is not a call to radical Christian living, I just don't know what is. Brothers, sisters, listen. True Christianity is radical. Following Jesus is radical. And we just simply need to just go all out. On that very same day, what are you holding back in obedience to God? What has God asked of you that you are dragging your feet on? Just throw caution to the wind and just follow him, whatever it is. And I'm sure for all of us, there are different things. But if Abraham's simple obedience is simply, he's 99, let's get this circumcision party on. Ishmael's 13, all the people in my house. Guys, we're doing this together. How can we not say, Lord, I just want to follow you? Whatever the cost, whatever it takes, and I believe that God is asking us, all of us, to take radical steps of simple obedience to his calling tonight. And the question for you and I is, are we going to be obedient children, or are we going to be disobedient children? It's that simple. It's that simple. We either enter by the narrow gate, which is the difficult way that a few are on, Or we go by the wide gate, the broad way, where everybody is. And I don't know about you, but I want to be following after Jesus with such simple obedience that my life is a radical expression of what it means to walk before God, the all-sufficient one, and be blameless. And my prayer is that as a church here at Crossroads, that all of us would be there. That we'd be encouraging one another on to faith and good works, that we would truly follow him, and God could do all things that he wants to do in and through our lives, if we're willing to be simply obedient like Abraham.
1: Jesus is real. A cutting away of that which is unnecessary. That's what circumcision symbolizes regarding our lives lived in obedience to Jesus. The useless parts are discarded, and when this covenant was made with Abraham, it meant that he and everyone in his extensive household would be physically circumcised. Abraham followed through in obedience to God even at 99. God promised to bless him with a son who would be a great nation.
0: God does amazing things when we simply listen to His Word. He transforms and shapes us into His image as we are exposed to the Bible. Maybe after listening today, someone specific is on your heart. You know that this message is something they need to hear. Please log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. You can share this message to your Facebook timeline, tweet a link, or even embed the audio wherever you'd like. So log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and share this message with your family, friends, and neighbors.
1: Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, we'll find out what it means to serve when two men come to visit Sarah and Abraham. Abraham puts himself in a position to serve to show hospitality. We remember that in Hebrews it says not to forget to entertain strangers, for unwittingly we may be entertaining angels. Pastor Daniel will challenge us to consider our position, how we put ourselves forward in service or not. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Patriarchs. Until then, may God bless.